All right. <clears throat> Hello, Cyberpunk. I'm your host, Lupus, and welcome to our Cyberpunk podcast, where we discuss various uh, cyberpunk media. With me today, we have Barry. Hello. Graham. Hello. Sammy, who is not currently with us. And then joining, we have a couple special guests. We have Mathadar. Hello, hello. There we go. And Randy. Hoi. So we are discussing today the 1995 movie Johnny Mnemonic, starring Keanu Cyber, uh, Cyberpunk Reeves, Dolph Lundgren, and Ice-T. At a runtime of 96 minutes and with a box office that doubled its $26 million budget, we're going to find out exactly what makes this movie cyberpunk. And um, that, my text field says spoilers in all caps, so if you're watching the video, that is your warning. Yes. As always, if you haven't seen this movie, go watch it and come back to this podcast. Uh, we, Grim and I just watched it last weekend on uh, Amazon Prime. It's included in Prime membership, so if you want to watch it, go watch it there. If you have Prime, if not, there's other places you can watch it. Mm-hmm. I've seen I'm pretty sure I have it on, on DVD lately. somewhere around here. Yeah. Um, I think so, I last saw it 15 years ago, so it's been a while, hmm. but uh, I remember <clears throat> most of it, I think. So starting off, um, in 2021, society is driven by a virtual internet, which has created a degenerate effect called nerve attenuation syndrome or NAS mega corporations control much of the world intensifying the class hostility already created by NAS Johnny is a mnemonic carrier who discreetly transports sensitive data for corporations in a storage device implanted in his brain at the cost of his childhood memories his current job is for a group of scientists in Beijing. Johnny initially balks when he uh, when he learns that the data exceeds his memory capacity, even with compression, but agrees to, uh, given the large fee, will be enough to cover the cost of the operation to remove the device. Johnny warns he must have the data extracted within uh, a few days. Or, or Johnny, I assume this means Johnny is warned. <laughs> He must have the uh, data extracted within a few days or suffer, suffer psychological damage. Also, if I remember correctly, I believe the amount of data that is stored is, compared to out-of-character 2021 standards, comically low. Yes, it is. Uh, I believe the number they gave was 32 gigabytes. Yeesh. I played well, games with five times that. <laughs> You have to understand the hard drive and storage capacity of the time period to yeah. understand why that seemed like a lot. I know. I yeah, remember when I, I, was in, when I was in college, the first time I had over 100 megabytes on my hard drive, I was like, I'm never going to fill that! <laughs> yeah, they had just broken the gigabyte barrier, I think, in 93, 94, so... Yeah. Yeah, and now we have. I remember when my my dad told me a story about going to a convention for computers to see an amazing storage device that could hold an entire megabyte. Ooh, hmm. 
<laughs> and and you know this is coming off the 80s when they never thought that you would need more than you know four megabytes of memory on anything yeah. actually i think bill gates said you would never need more than 512 kilobytes yep <laughs> anyway kilobytes not uh, even megabytes Yeesh. anyway the scientists encrypt the data with three random images from a television feed and start sending these images to the receiver in Newark, New, jo uh, New Jersey. But they are attacked and killed by the Yakuza, led by Shinji, before the uh, images can be fully transmitted. Johnny escapes with a portion of the images, and as he flees Beijing, he's pursued by both the Yakuza as well as security forces for Pharmacom, one of the mega corporations run by Takahashi, both seeking the data he carries. Um, Johnny starts witnessing brief images of a female projection of an AI who attempts to aid Johnny, but he dismisses her. In new work, Johnny meets with his handler, Ra uh, Ralphie, to explain the situation, but finds Ralphie's also working for the Yakuza and wants to kill Johnny to get the storage device. Johnny is rescued by Jane, which, as we... I guess that was before here, but we uh, will discuss later how Jane plays a part in exactly who Jane is. Uh, Jane is a cybernetically enhanced bodyguard, and members of anti-establishment low-techs are uh, also assisting Johnny. Their leader is J-Bone, or Ice-T. Um, Jane takes Johnny to a clinic run by Spider, who had installed Jane's implants. Spider reveals he was the intended recipient of the Beijing scientist data, which is the cure for NAS stolen from Pharmacom. Spider claims Pharmacom refused, uh, or refuses to release the cure as they're profiting off the mitigation of NAS. Unfortunately, even with the portion of encryption images uh, Johnny took and what Spider had received is not sufficient enough to decrypt Johnny's mind. Spider suggests that they see Jones at the Lotex base. Just then, the clinic is attacked by Carl, the street preacher, uh, who is played by Lundgren. He's an assassin hired by Taka, uh, Takahashi. Um, Carl kills Spider as Johnny and Jane escape, although, honestly, you never see anything on the screen. The two reach the low-tech base and learn from J-Bone that Jones is a dolphin once used by the Navy, which can help decrypt the data in Johnny's mind. Just as they start the procedure, the base is attacked by Shinji and the Yakuza, Takahashi and his security forces, and the street preacher. Johnny, Jane, J-Bone, and the other low-techs are... Uh, able to defeat all three forces, Takahashi turns over a portion of the encryption key before uh, before he dies, but this is still not enough to fully decrypt the data, and J-Bone tells Johnny he will need to hack his own mind with Jones' help. The second attempt starts, and with the help of the female AI, Johnny is able to decrypt the data and at the same time recover his childhood memories. 
The AI is revealed to be the virtual version of Johnny's mother, who is also the founder of Pharmacom, angered at the company for holding back the cure. As J-Bone transmits the NAS cure information across the internet, Johnny and Jane watch from afar as Pharmacom uh, goes up in flames from the public outcry. So that ends our plot summary. Let's go on to some fun facts, shall we? Mm. So, number one. At one point, Johnny's brain implant is detected by a security scanner and is falsely reported as a device for counteracting dyslexia. <laughs> uh, Keanu does actually suffer from, dys- from dyslexia in real life. Mm. Number two. While the film is based on William Gibson's short story, Johnny Mnemonic, it also draws heavily on his later novel, Virtual Light. Mm-hmm. Three. Keanu Reeves plays a character that's holding data in his head that can kill him. In uh, 2077, you also play a character with a deadly data chip in your head, containing the avatar of Johnny Silverhand, who, as we know now, is played by Mr. Keanu Reeves. Um, number Coincidence? Four. I think not. Oh, we do have the same appearance. Yes. Number four, Johnny's wake-up call at the beginning of the film says the date is Thursday, January 17th, 2021. In actuality, January 17th, 2021 was a Sunday. They couldn't afford a calendar? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Maybe not one that far in the future? Yeah, Yeah, remember, Uh, it was two years until Windows 95 and you could just click on the date on any computer. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, the bartender scene with the electronic prosthetic arm is a reference to Rats, a bartender introduced early in in Gibson's Neuromancer. Hmm. Number six. Johnny throws away a gun after it runs out of ammo. In the next shot, he can still be seen holding that gun. (laughs) Gotta love continuity errors. It must have been made by TDR. (laughs) In Obviously seven, had like a magnetic grip so he could return it to his hand. <laughs> Number seven. In in this movie, Takahashi calls Dolph Lundgren by his real name when hiring him for the hit job on Johnny. Somebody forgot oh to God, explain God. to the guy from another that uses another language which is the character name and which is the actor name. <laughs> <laughs> Also, as a side comment, if you want to hear more about Neuromancer, reference episode one. Yes. Um, I'm going to have to listen to it just to catch up on y'all's discussion of views on things. All right. Number eight. In the final scene, Jane has a stream of blood from different places above her left eye. That trickle also changes length between shots. Blame the makeup person. (laughs) Oh, 100%, that's makeup's fault. Oh, yeah, probably what happened is they did one of the shots, they went to lunch, came back, had to reapply the makeup, and the makeup person couldn't remember where it was going. <laughs> yeah. Well, we fine, you'll look fine, don't worry about it, touch. <laughs> this is partially why a lot of films now will actually do a cast of the person's face, and they'll mark it where the, it needs to be applied, so that way when they can come back, they can use a mirror and see if they're marking it the right place. 
They did that for Jax as well as other characters from the Yathibabi. I know, um, for example, with The Office, I, kind of different situation. But when they were filming and they'd have to like move something on the desk or something, they always took a picture before they moved anything. So they had that reference photo to go back to and have it set up again at, properly at the beginning of the scene. <laughs> so, I mean, worst case scenario, you could do that. <laughs> yeah. But um, let's move on to our thoughts about this movie. Uh, Barry, you want to begin? Um, I mean, I kind of already said some of my thoughts about the comically low uh, disc space. Um, other than that, um, I mean, it's been at least 15 years since I've seen the movie that I can recall, so uh, any details, it kind of just all blurred into, uh, it's all kind of fuzzy for me. All right. And how do you think it relates to the genre as a whole? Um, having hard drive in your head, yeah, that relates. Having um, an AI that uh, only you can see and interact with, yep, that uh, relates directly with 2077, among other cyberpunk facets in the genre. Um, um, what else? Um... I don't know, there, there's a lot that uh, it either contributed to the cyberpunk genre or it just referenced at the very least. So, um, yeah, it's a very cyberpunk movie. Uh, and since it's been such a long time since I've seen it and things are still fuzzy for me, I guess I'm going to leave it, everything else up to next. All right, Graham, go ahead. If you're talking, I can't hear you. You're muted. I would, but there's someone in the background. All right, well, skip and go. I will go then. Um, so I personally enjoyed this movie, <laughs> even though you know, knowing 2021 how it is now yeah. versus what they showed and all that, which I kind of feel bad about, but. Uh, as Barry said, the low data storage, <laughs> which I understand back then that was like, oh my god, it's going to be so much data, and now it's like... Oh, slash please. aged like milk. Yeah, well, I mean, when you think about it, we didn't even know that there was such thing as a Zeta byte like 10 years ago. <laughs> Now, we don't have any drives that can store Zetabyte, but we know, or is it Petabyte, sorry. But we know it exists, and we're working towards it. Yeah. Um, and I'm so sure... Zetabyte's what you get when you have Guns of Wing and you go for uh, something closer to the original series. Yes. Mm. Um, anyway, so... I'm sure in 20, 30 years when they're deciding, you know, when they're looking back at a piece of cyberpunk that was made this year and they go, oh, this was saying 
thirty something Zeta or pay device is really big. Well, turns out we have some other bikes that's bites. even bigger now. Yeah. Um. Gotta bites is up there. It was yeah. this reason, by the way, that Star Trek, when they had to list space for their computers, used something completely and totally fictional. Yep. Good. That's how you should. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Isaac Asimov knew that all too well for a lot of his series as well, dealing with robots. Yeah. Um, so, I've I noticed, and Grim can back me up on this, this movie added the mono wire. Well, ah. maybe not specifically this movie, but I don't know if it appeared in the story or not. But yeah, if you look I believe at it the movie, you'll see the you'll see the actual mono wire that you can play with in um, Cyberpunk twenty twenty, Cyberpunk Red, Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you uh, from experience personally that it is not in the GURPS Cyberpunk book from the uh, 1991 version, nor the original uh, Cyberpunk 2020 mm. originally. Um, so this may very well be why in later versions they added it in. No, uh, it was added others, before I'll, this. I'll save it for my segment. Was it? Yeah, it was added by the 1992-1993 edition. Oh, okay. See, I have the 1991 edition at my house, so I didn't know they added it in. <laughs> yeah, it was the it was the second edition of the 2020 book that it was in. Okay. Well, anyway, I'll let you get back to it. I'll wait for my turn. Um. So I'm gonna move back to Graham. See if he has anything to add. If you can talk. I can. Um. It, like Lupus stated, there was the mono wire. Um, I personally feel, other than that, it's uh, we've talked about its capacity being substandard compared to today. But um, overall, I love, I liked the, uh, I liked the movie. Um, it's a uh, interesting watch. Um, I'm trying to think of how it influenced, uh, cyberpunk other than, you know, there's a data chip in his head that's trying to kill him and, uh, the mono wire. Um, I would... (laughs) I would say, you know, all kind of cyberpunk really has the guys going up against some type of uh, big corporation. But I think uh, we kind of get with this movie something that we don't, we hadn't seen before. And that the corporation, uh, in this one case, PharmaCorp, you know, they weren't just a pharmaceutical company. PharmaCorp. Whatever. <laughs> but yeah. Like I said, name doesn't matter. Alright. Anything else, Grim? Nope. <laughs> Alright. Mathadar. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, so can you hear me okay? I'm trying to make sure I'm in a good spot. Uh, yeah. I, I yeah. Segment. Okay, thank you. All right, so um, uh, thoughts on the movie? Generally, uh, I, ver I very much enjoyed it. I didn't get a chance to see it when it came out. Uh, it wasn't until the mid-2000s, so like 2007, 2008, I saw it. So I didn't see it when it came out. Um, it was after the end of the Matrix trilogy, and I got very heavy into Ghost in the Shell, Ghost in the mm -hmm. Shell standalone complex specifically, and Innocence, that I actually went back and watched uh, a lot of films uh, related to the cyberpunk genre, including that one. There's actually a website that has like a list of all the cyberpunk films and TV episodes and things like that that I went to, and I would just go down the whole list. <laughs> um, so... That's one of the reasons why I had so many recommendations, and I have many more, but I'll, I'll wait on those for another time. But uh, I didn't realize until I saw the film, I was like, oh, wait, Keanu Reeves? Oh, that's awesome. I didn't know he was going to be in this, and <laughs> felt the same way a lot of the other actors. Um, I think that it, it's very kind of a, a film of its time in regards to kind of how people thought of technology and where it would take us. And as a society and as a culture, um, it, it had kind of a cynical view of a lot of it, that it was going to be a kind of corporatized or controlled by big companies, things like that, um, which is correct. You know, that is true. Um, it also was incredibly influential for Shadowrun, if we're talking like games, because some of the concepts that were brought up in the film, uh, one I picked up right away was the uh, wired reflexes. Uh, causing like nerve issues in your hands and fingers, but it allows you very quick reaction speed because it's basically replacing uh, your spine with a bundle of uh, optical wire to have faster reflexes. And I, I think if I remember correctly, it's been also seen the film, but wasn't that like the story with Jane in the in the film where she had something like that? That's why she had such fast reaction. Yeah, yeah, it was boosted reflexes of some kind, hmm. and that's been in both Shadowrun and Cyberpunk since around 1990. True, and uh, it's just, I felt it like it more popularized it. Like, it had been around, but outside of a film, you wouldn't really see it very much, so unless you're, like, that's where I first heard about it before I'd even gone back and looked a lot that. Like, even Cyberpunk, the, uh, oh shoot, what was it, the, the Elite, the Elite kind of cyborg squad that are basically like Terminators, uh, I forget what they're called. Uh, well, yeah, Cyberpunk mind, 2020 game. mind you, you know, Cyberpunk and Shadowrun got that whole concept from the character that Jane is based on. Correct. Yes. Exactly. I was going to say that they they got the concept from the original source material and from Neuromancer and other Gibson novels. And uh, this is kind of the, what I like to call the, uh, almost like a TV adaptation of... A, a cyberpunk book <laughs> where it, you've got some some casting choices that are kind of interesting I like a lot, a lot of the actors I enjoyed the film although I think they the way they, they had to edit the film to make it release kind of took away some of it because Dolph Lundgren's character in the original cut of the film was going to be much darker much worse and would have been better for the film but they cut a lot of those scenes out uh, if you know any of the behind the scenes stuff you'll know they had to edit that film to hell and back to get it out in theaters because they're worried about going against uh, Christian audiences primarily. Um, just just wanted to mention that one. Um, in regards to uh, inspiration for other things, 
I would say the other one that really comes to mind, other than Wide Reflexes, which wasn't the original source material, was uh, the idea of uh, VR gaming, which is very common to what we have nowadays in regards to, like, say, the, uh, the Rift or other things like that where you're holding the things with both hands and they actually have the hand haptic feedback uh, like he had where you can actually see your hands in the game and manipulate it. Uh, that's very similar to what we have nowadays. So it, in some ways it dated like milk, in some ways it dated like fine wine, and uh, especially some of the VR stuff later on, uh, or when he's going through looking for files, it was like, that seemed like a VR game in the nowadays. <laughs> like, I've seen some that are about that crude, if, if, unless they have a high budget. Like, oh, just some shapes? Nah, no problem. Uh, but at the time, that was basically groundbreaking um, in terms of uh, visuals. Not like Terminator. Now that's, uh, <laughs> that's groundbreaking. Or Terminator 2 is primarily. Um, even some of the Terminator 1 effects... Uh, some of the claymation stuff didn't hold up too well. Yeah. Um, in regards to the, the music, I thought it was okay. I've actually had the soundtrack for a long time. Um, and uh, the, the editing was a little off at times, a little fast-paced at others. I think it had some pacing issues. Um, generally, I think the editing could have done better uh, for some of the material they had. But I, I think that uh, Keanu Reeves is playing a very uh, uh, charismatic uh, but at the same time, uh, early career Keanu Reeves, uh, he kind of becomes wood at times as well, <laughs> which, which can be quite amusing to see when he goes like from one, re one over-emotional reaction to completely wooden-faced. That's usually what? a problem I have with Keanu Reeves. <laughs> oh, like, uh, was it the, was it the knowing? Where, where, or, or was it the, I forget that. It was the one where he played... It was Day of the Earth Sits Still, that's right. That's a good example. Like, Day of the Earth Sits Still, he's got some really good scenes, and then he's got just wooden. Mm -hmm. And uh, that pretty much summarizes that film. Because I like him at all. Good actor, for the most part, but he needs a good director and script to back that up. Otherwise, it's going to fall flat. I think that goes for uh, most actors, unless they're, like, top of the top. Agreed. Well, anyway, unless you have any any other questions for me, I think that's it. Um, I do not. Uh, Randy? Okay, so... I originally uh, did not see this movie in theaters, but I got the first edition DVD of it back around 96, 97. Mm. And was watching it when I was getting real heavily into cyberpunk... Um, due to a uh, regular Cyberpunk 2020 game we had going on in the mid to late 90s. Um, I, had, uh, I had been into the genre since, I want to say, around 1989, 1990. But uh, this was the first time I actually started looking up movies and was reading books and stuff. And uh, this doesn't seem to so much influence cyberpunk as reflect it. Mm. Um, the original story, which was a short story, by the way, written by Will William Gibson, uh, influenced it quite a bit. But this, which uh, is basically two, as mentioned before, two of Gibson's novels kind of sewn together, kind of patchwork stitched into one story, 
um, is more of a reflection of things that it's already that the books have already influenced. And it does some of it very, very well. And it does some of it not so well. <laughs> um, first of all, Keanu Reeves, if you, if you say you're making a cyberpunk movie, Keanu Reeves will show up for a sandwich. <laughs> I'm fairly certain the guy will find some way to worm his way into the movie. <laughs> He's that invested, and he he he's apparently a huge cyberpunk fan. So mm. he just always wants to be in there. And I first heard he was going to be in this movie, and mind you, this is you know a good two three years before the Matrix, and I'm like, oh dear, because <laughs> the only thing I knew Keanu Reeves from back then was Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and a whole lot of whoa. Hey, um, when did Point Break come out? I don't know. I don't even know if I've ever seen it. I saw it in the uh, theater, but that's the last time I saw it. After this, uh, let's see. This was uh, this was ninety five. I think Point it was break. around then. I forgot if it was Point before. Break was ninety one. Okay, oh, okay, so it was a good four years after. All right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't see Point Break until after Hot Fuzz made a reference to it, and then I went back and watched it. <laughs> Um, but there's, I mean, a lot of, a lot of concepts were done very well in here. Yes. The second I saw the mono wire, I was just like, sweet. <laughs> um, but the original character, uh, or the, the character that they made for this, the film Jane is based off of. Uh, the character that is uh, one of Gibson's regular characters throughout a lot of his novels, Molly Millions. Mm. The thing is, Molly Millions is a lot cooler character to look at. 100% agreed. And if they had included, if they had, if they could have included her in this movie, it would have been a lot more visually striking. The fact that she has, you know, silver mirrors in front of her eyes. That's basically cyberware. She has the ripper blades under her nails. Ooh. Yeah, it's... She's almost would more they, of a... Wouldn't hmm? they need more of a like, kind of Alita Battle Angel kind of uh, funding for that kind of thing nowadays? They had a way of doing uh, it back in the 90s. It wouldn't have been as cool as they could have done it today, which would have been massive CGI, but they had ways of doing it in the 90s. Um, probably with some uh, makeup prosthesis, but um, sorry, I'll let you carry on. Sorry to detract. No, go ahead. Everyone else is making commentary on everyone else's. I'm listening. <laughs> yeah. Um. But um, the fact that they made in the in the story, Molly Millions is the main character. Um, Johnny is just along for the ride. And here, of course, they reverse that to make Keanu Reeves' Johnny the main character. And Jane is more of a sidekick. Not sure how much I liked that. Um, I also didn't well, they, they like clearly, the They clearly weren't planning to do a spinoff movie with her. I, I think if they had actually spent more time on developing the character um, and spent more time on 
making the character look closer to how they were described in the novels, then they probably would have had a better time uh, with that, but they didn't, so. No, well, they couldn't because Neuromancer was under license by another company who wound up never making it. But, oh, right. That was the part we were talking about earlier with it. Yep. That's why they couldn't do Neuromancer. Because it yep. was in uh, hell for production there, pre-production yeah. hell. I can't remember who had the rights to it. I remember reading it was in production, but it was one of those things that it had been in production for like three years and nobody has gone anywhere on it. Oh, oh so it was kind of like in production, like the Superman film with Nicolas Cage from the late 90s till till forever. <laughs> yes, but I'm actually grateful we didn't get that one. <laughs> I'm not uh, a... uh, as I. It would have been well. I was gonna say it would have been interesting, but it wouldn't have done any money for them, and would have been a huge bomb. Part of me wants to, wishes that I'd seen the scripts, like at least I could. But that's pretty much all I got. Mm. Yeah, Nicholas Cage has already screwed up Ghost Rider. I want him nowhere near the blue suit. <laughs> well, this was before Ghost Rider, but yes, because it was late nineties. Mm -hmm. So I think I think this was post the rock Nicholas K uh, Dick Cage. Uh, I don't know. The only movie I ever liked Nicholas Cage in was Raising Arizona, but uh. oh yeah, that was good. Oh, uh, fa Face Off for me. That was kind of good too. That is just it wasn't great. But, but well, wasn't I, bad. I'm a big fan of uh, I'm a big fan of John Woo, so I, I watch all of his action films. So yeah. It's actually one of the reasons why, even though I don't like one of the Mission Impossible, I think it was the second one. I do enjoy it, but only because of some of the gun stuff that uh, John Woo brought to the table. Hmm. Um, but getting us back on topic, um, another thing I didn't like about uh, the movie is the fact that they list Newark as actually being Newark. Um, now, the th reason I'm saying this is not because of any diss towards Newark, yeah. but because in William Gibson's writing, he always refers to those kind of places as the sprawl. Uh, in his writing, all the, pretty much every city between New York and Atlanta had merged into one big super city. I think they did that so people would understand where they're at and not be like, well, what the hell is this? <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't yeah, mean I have Isaac, to like it, though. Yeah. Yep, Isaac Asimov did the same thing with uh, the mega megalopolis thing, where it was like New York all the way down to somewhere in northern New Jersey, I think. I'm trying to remember. It was like all one giant city. I don't know. Probably uh, either Newark or maybe Trenton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, Trenton, there you go. And that's the thing about most of the cyberpunk writings, is you've got the big, huge urban sprawls on each coast. Yeah. From New York to Atlanta, from either Seattle or San Francisco down to uh, San Diego. Yeah. And everything in the middle is just wasteland. Mm -hmm. And a few small towns, if anything. Um, except for, I think there's also a sprawl going from like Green Bay down to Gary, Indiana, <laughs> along Lake Michigan. Yeah. Us I so say even even in uh, even in Shadowruns the same way was with the, the is it new new Aztec is like a big chunk of the middle part of the United States and there's urban on the west and urban on the east. Yeah, mm. and it's all based on Gibson's writing. Gibson is kind of the godfather of cyberpunk. He didn't start it, but God did he revolutionize it into what we all know today. 
he popularized it. That's the way I tend to put it. Or he formatted it in a way that more people could kind of get behind. Because uh-huh. it had a united vision and uh, kind of a, a, a good take on it, especially given when he wrote the novels and what culture was like then. It's really weathered well. But other than that, most of the terms and stuff they had are good reflections of cyberpunk. I consider Johnny Demonic to be the first modern cyberpunk movie. And by modern, I mean reflecting the changes that were made by Gibson during the 80s. I don't count Blade Runner. I count that as an early cyberpunk movie. Yeah. Well, if you look at when Blade Runner, the or at least the book, it came was based on came now it wasn't exactly ahead of its time i mean it was ahead of its time but it wasn't exactly looking at it from an 80s perspective it was looking at it from a 60s perspective yeah and the movie itself is sure it has the cyberpunk elements but it's also more science fictiony than you see modern cyberpunk if you know what i mean there's a lot of space involved. There's a lot of uh, concepts that it it doesn't date as close to the modern time as um, as cyberpunk does today. Cyberpunk happens in the near future, which is why um, uh, in the nineteen when around nineteen ninety when they first came out with cyberpunk. They put it in the 20-teens and then 2020. Um, FASA decided to do Shadowrun a little further out in 2050. But it was always just around the corner. (laughs) Blade Runner was like over... What was that? I was going to say Blade Runner was, uh, what, a couple years ago, 2019, right? Yeah. That was the, what was the year, I think? Yeah, but they Uh... based it... Even, it was a July 2020, I forget. It's been a little while since I've run, re-watched it. I have the Final Cut version. I have like four I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was 2019 or 2018 because they made this, the, the sequel movie around the date that it was supposed to happen. Um, the Blade Runner 2049. Which we actually did cover in episode 2, which is about Blade Runner. Yeah. I will let you know in just a moment. Yeah, it was 2019. Um, But it always seemed to be more futuristic than cyberpunk. Mm, Yeah. They they were always talking about stuff that was happening. um, What what Wayland Yutani was doing um, in space. So. Uh, Wayland Yutani. But. It, uh, uh, thank you, Smith Smoke. You mean Macintosh or Windows? I'm trying to remember. <laughs> said something about Wayland something. I think you meant Windows. <laughs> Microsoft. No. Um, no, I'm trying to remember. I have not seen Blade Runner in, like, the original Blade Runner in at least 15 to 20 years. Well, in that not case, sen- you should go listen to our podcast on it. Not since <laughs> somebody borrowed my DVD and never returned it. Oh. Not it. I, oh, I no, it wasn't you. Copy, yeah, I know. I sent it was you a somebody, copy, but I only have one copy of the final cut, so I'm not sending it your way. <laughs> it, 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 it's somebody we both know from the 1990s, Barry. The same person that borrowed my DS9 tech manual and never gave it back. Uh-oh. I would guess, but this is being recorded, so... 
Oh my gosh! Guess I, it's I never had the tech manual for that. Where'd you even get it? Uh, it used to it used to be available, you know, when DS9 was on the air. Yeah. Oh man, because I had the one for uh, the original series, uh, Next Generation, and Enterprise. I don't have one for uh, Deep Space Nine. I've been trying to find one. Yeah, there mm. was one. Um, apparently, they stopped publishing it around 2000. Uh, this friend, this former friend of mine, borrowed it around 1999 and never gave it back. Mm. I was really right, pissed. Sorry, about I'll get that. you back on topic. Yeah, I apologize. Yep. <laughs> I'm just yeah. saying, though, that just pissed me off because otherwise, if you'd done it earlier, I could have bought a new copy. But, uh. um, but anyway, it's Blade Runner always felt more futuristic than the than what I consider modern cyberpunk. It could just be that more modern cyberpunk is more down to earth. Yeah, I would imagine it's more that as time's gone on we've realized space isn't exactly how we're going so we're focused more here on planet earth and mm -hmm. cyberpunk as a genre has changed to match more human our... problems yeah. less fantastic elements yeah yeah because if you remember blade runner the whole thing about replicants is they were meant to work on another planet yeah. at one point and that's a concept that's not really cyberpunk in the well, modern sense. In the modern at, sense. Looking because. at other... Um, cyberpunk, and I'm using that term loosely. Looking at other cyberpunk movies, you've got Total Recall and stuff like that, which, again, go to a different world. Different planet. Correct. So I, Total Recall Although, is one of those things case, that... When, is cyberpunk and yet with non-cyberpunk elements. Yeah, I was going to say, one of the things about it is, no matter where you go, people are still people. And companies are still companies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Before and we the really get into Total thing. Recall, though, hold that thought for when we actually get to Total Recall. Shoot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, was, I, was not, I was not going there, Barry. Okay. I was going uh, to no. say, the big thing about cyberpunk is the corporate dystopia. Oh yeah, the yeah. corporation where the corporations are care more about profit than they do morals or people, and honestly, that's a truth. Yeah, yeah. That's today, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. And we did see that's, that in this movie. I was saying back yes. to the late eighteen hundreds hasn't really changed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, so. It's about time we do our normal wrap up because mm. in about ten minutes or so we got something else we're going that's going on. So, mm -hmm. uh, going down the list, Barry, where can we find you? If you want more of me, you can look up K H Z H A K on YouTube, Twitch, and Twitter. My YouTube channel links to related channels with other like D and D and podcasts and MMOs and stuff, and uh, there's some reaction videos. I have this podcast on there, at least the first uh, eight episodes so far. Since there's an actual channel for it, I'm not going to upload any further to my channel, but I will upload it to that channel, which is linked in my related channels. I do not stream any 
content on Twitch. I will host my friends and other stuff like that. And if you look me up on Twitter, my pinned tweet links to adult content. If you don't want it, don't click the links there. Otherwise, I generally try to keep it SFW on my Twitter with what I uh, like and reply to and retweet and stuff. Uh, other than that, um, that's me. Who's next? Graham. Who's currently muted? <laughs> I don't really have any uh, thing else to plug, but um, check us out on TFNP or TFN Podcast. Uh, it's the Thanks for Nothing Podcast. Search us on YouTube. Um, yeah. All right. Um, so, as Graham kind of started to say and really didn't, uh, we are also part of FML Productions. It is a group that does D&D sessions. We do um, po- podcasts such as this one and the Thanks for Nothing podcast. And then we do, um, or we are currently working on an animation, which I'm about ready to finish the script for. Um, we this pertaining to this podcast specifically, we have a Twitter which is at Gen Cyberpunk Pod, and we have a YouTube page which you can just search Generation Cyberpunk. If you have trouble finding it, go to our Twitter page, I will post the link there. Or I link it from my YouTube-related channels, and it is linked from each episode on that channel in the description. Yeah, or do that. Yes. Um, and then, that's about it for us. Moving on, Mathadar. Uh, you can find me on the Thanks for Nothing podcast, or on here on Generation Cyberpunk. Um, part of FML Productions. Uh, insert Thanks for Nothing uh, podcast plug here. All right. Um, Randy. And our special guest, Randy. <laughs> well, I don't stream myself, but I am involved in several other things. Uh, generally, uh, with Aaron Romeo Moon Burke and Mad Matt Winchell, we uh, do uh, noontime gaming with the lounge leads at, uh, well, usually about 11.30 a.m. Central Time on Mondays, Thursdays, and Fridays, where we usually are doing Borderlands or phasmophobia or conan exiles or something whatever has caught our eye that particular week mm-hmm. also uh sunday nights at uh 8 p.m we do lord of the rings online because we used to love mmos back when they were cool you can also find me um wednesday nights at 10 p.m central for an unearthly podcast where my friends and i talk about doctor who discuss news and review episodes All right, Sammy, anything to add? Yes, if you like Generation Cyberpunk and FML Productions and you enjoy our work and what we do, we do have a coffee. Do not feel obliged to donate, but anything you do is more than appreciated. Thanks very much. All right, and until next time, we will see you later, Cyberpunks.